Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17 is where we're going to start tonight. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, I'm about to say something that's going to absolutely shock you. This will be the fastest section of Matthew that we will study in the whole time. You know why? Because we've already studied it, and we're not studying it tonight. I read it to you, but if you're curious about what this is saying, I've already taught on this section of Scripture in great detail, if you remember from our Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 part. So if you're curious about what this is saying, go back to the website, look, click on the Matthew Bible study, and look on the, verse, the, the, the study that was Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, and you'll see all the teaching on fasting there. Because back when we talked about when Jesus said, when he said, when you fast, don't you know, do like the hypocrites do, and they make their faces look ashen and all that. We dealt with fasting and all that, and we dove into this passage and dealt with the old wine and new wineskins. So since I've already taught on it in detail, not going to do it again. How about that? Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 and following. Let's move on. I know I shot you. You guys are like speechless. You've never... You, You've seen me spend a month on three verses, and now I actually just skipped right over a bunch there. You don't know what to do. Some of you are probably saying, I need to check Jim's ID right now. I'm not sure that's him. <laughs> Susan's over here. We'll see if you get to verse 18. We'll see whether or not you actually do that. Go to Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26. This is where we're going to spend our time tonight. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players, and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, from, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Now, once again, in order to study this passage of Scripture, we need to look at Mark's account and Luke's account. Because Mark and Luke will bring some things to this story that will help us. You're going to see in just a second, if you were paying close attention, Mark and Luke are going to bring out some things that might confuse us, but we're going to deal with that as we look at Mark and Luke's account. So go with me to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Let's take a look at what Mark has to say about this episode. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
and he went, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. But she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even the, his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Go over to Luke chapter 8. Look at verses 40 through 56. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me, or who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, as you can see, there's a lot to deal with, and that's what we're going to spend our time dealing with tonight. Matthew simply calls this man, we know from Mark and Luke's account his name, but Matthew just calls him a ruler. 
But Mark and Luke tell us his name. What's his name? Jairus. And he's a ruler of what? Ruler of the synagogue. So if he's a ruler of the synagogue, is he a Jew or a Gentile? Jew. That's going to be very important later on in our study. For a Jewish leader to come and kneel before Jesus and to ask him to come and heal his daughter in front of a big crowd of people was a big deal. You see, the Jewish religious leaders didn't like Jesus. And even though many knew there was something supernatural about him, they would not acknowledge that he was who he was. You say, wait a minute, I've seen in the scriptures how they didn't believe in him and they rejected him and they questioned him and they tried to trap him. Where does it say that they knew that there was something special about him? Go with me to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now publicly they were saying he was demon-possessed and casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebul. They were rejecting him, telling all the people, do all the religious leaders believe in him? You know, you don't see us believing in him, but... They knew. Let me just say to you folks, the Bible is very, very clear that everyone, even though they, they say that they don't believe, they do. They know. Now there's a difference between believing and having faith. Even the demons believe and they shudder. But the Bible is very, very clear. If you go to Romans chapter 1, that all are without excuse, even though they knew God, they didn't acknowledge Him as God. The Bible is very, very clear that, they, that, that people know. There's no one that says, well, I didn't know. No, everybody knows in some way, shape, or form, and in many different ways and levels. But for Jairus to come in front of this crowd of people, and the, the Bible says he fell on his knees before Jesus in humility, possible worship, we don't know, and said, well, that's where we get into the trouble. Did anybody catch the, con the confusing statements between Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account? Did anybody catch it? I wondered if you'd catch it. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 9 again. In Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. Go look at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. In Mark 5, 21 through 24, the scripture says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on hers that she may live, be made well and live. And he went with him. Look at Luke 8. In Luke chapter 8, look at verses 40 and 42. Or 40 through 42. Luke 8, verse 40, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. All right. So was she already dead when Jairus comes, or was she dying? This is important that we get this. She was dying. You remember in Luke and Mark's account, as they're on their way to go there, the servants come and say, she just died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. 
But it's obvious from the scriptures that when Jairus went to go meet Jesus, when he was waiting for him to come, he put the scriptures together. He had gone back and forth across the lake, remember? And now when he comes back across, people are waiting for him. Jairus is there, and he says, my daughter is at the point of death. She's dying. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she may live. But Matthew says that he came and said, my daughter has just died. So how do we deal with this, folks? You remember, we've already been looking at this. All scripture is breathed out by God. There's no error here, folks. There's no error. But why, how, how can we put this together? Anybody have any ideas on how we can put this together? Great answer, but probably not. That's a good guess, though, Rick. That's not bad. Rick said maybe Matthew came around after the fact that she was dead. But in a weird sense, I'm going to say, actually, you, you're kind of right. But not in the fact that he showed up late. Go ahead, Miles. Nope, because that would mean there was an error here. Matthew thought they were dead. That'd mean there was an error here. Nope. That woman with the issue of blood wasn't mentioned in Matthew. Matthew doesn't even mention the woman with the issue of blood. By the way, remember last week when we studied, did Matthew even mention the fact that these guys cut the hole in the roof? What do we know about Matthew's accounts? He tends to leave a lot of stuff out, doesn't he? Actually, Matthew is giving shortened Reader's Digest versions of all these accounts. In verse 20, but not in the detail that the other guys do is what we're talking about. There's so many details about the woman with the issue of blood that are brought out in Mark and Luke that aren't brought out in Matthew. What I want you to see is this. Matthew, first off, Matthew's accounts are always shortened. There's also an issue when it comes to how we translate the Greek word here in English. The actual Greek words, she was at the point of death. Some people could translate that she died or she was right at the, you know what I'm saying? It, she was near death. So much so that in the time between Jairus leaves the house, I'll get right to you, Becky. The time that time Jairus leaves the house and actually comes to Jesus, and then the time when they get there, she did die. That's how close to death she was. Go ahead. So you're saying that in Matthew, where it's translated in our version that we read tonight, it's translated she was dead. It could have been translated she's at the point of death. Is that true? Yes, that's a possibility. Is that if you look at the actual Greek, it could have been translated she's at the point of death. Okay, and is it also a possibility that Matthew just shortened the account and picked up the story, kind of like Rick was saying, picked up the story at the point where the people came and said she's dead? That is exactly the right answer. Becky gets the gold star with Rick's help. Rick, he didn't, Matthew didn't show up late. Matthew didn't show up late. Matthew takes the story from there. Do you understand? And he goes right into the woman and all that kind of stuff. When you, when you look at it, you'll see it comes together. Matthew's picking up the story from that point. He shortens everything, as you saw. Matthew's account is just a few verses in my Bible, only this. The others were like almost a page. And so she was not dead when Jairus came to him originally, but she died in the time period between when he talked to her, Jesus and when they got to the house. That'll be important later on. All right, now, you also see as a ruler in the synagogue, he had to be familiar with the Old Testament stories of children being brought back to life by God through the prophets. I want to take you back in the, school, the Old Testament to two episodes where God raised children back from the dead. And that's important for us. Go, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. Now remember, Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. 
So if he's a ruler in the synagogue, he had to have known the Bible pretty well and to know these Old Testament stories. In 1 Kings chapter 17, look at verses 17 through 24. It says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you have against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So here Elijah is used by God to heal uh, uh, this lady's son, the widow's son. Does anybody know who this widow is? Do you remember the widow that God had sent Elijah to go to? And, and remember she, No, she's the one that, hey, there's a, I commanded a widow in that place to su supply you with food. Remember that story? When he goes into Zarephath and Tyre and Sidon, and they had, she was making her last meal for her and her son? Yeah. Yep, this is that widow. And during that time that she, he's there, she dies. I mean, sorry, he dies, the son dies. But Elijah brings him back to life. Go over to 2 Kings now and go to chapter 4. This now is not Elijah, but Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 4. Look at verses 18 through 37. This is a different woman. To give you the backstory, this is the woman who had taken care of Elisha, and God prompts him to ask her, what would you like? And she says, don't get my hopes up. Because what happened is, is God had told him, told Elisha, she would like a child. So he brings that up, and she says, don't get my hopes up. Don't tease me like that. And God provides this son. Now in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him, had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, All's well. Isn't that amazing? Then she sat on the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Now when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, all, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she's in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Don't deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. 
If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you live, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. And the flesh of the child became warm, and then he got up again, walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, <coughs> excuse me, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. So there were two episodes we know of recorded in the Old Testament where God had used the prophet to raise a child from the dead. This man's daughter, 12-year-old daughter, was at the point of death, so much so that by the time he got to Jesus and then even didn't make it back to the house, the child had not already died. By the time they get there, the professional mourners are already there. I mean, so she's been dead a little bit of a period of time. She was that close to death. And Jairus' attitude is, maybe this guy will come and heal her. And he comes and he meets Jesus and asks him to come. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you have noticed the difference between Jairus' faith and the centurion's faith that we studied back in Matthew chapter 8? Go back to Matthew chapter 8. Look at verses 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. It says, when he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worried to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes, and another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And as you know, Jesus just says, you go on back, your servant's fine. What's the difference between the centurion's faith and Jairus' faith? Anybody catch the difference? Jairus thought, he had to be a Jairus thought that he had to come and lay his hands on her. The centurion said, you just need to just say the word. Now, it's okay, don't beat up on Jairus yet, because Jesus was sent to who? The Jews. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And here is a Jewish man who is now responding. And his faith level is that he believes enough to publicly, in front of everybody, as a ruler of the synagogue, come to Jesus and ask him to come to his house and do this miracle. The crowds are all following as this happens. And Jesus doesn't say, man, I wish you had enough faith as that centurion. Oh, man. No, he goes with him. He goes with him. And I actually think he goes with him. And I'm going to say something that some of you may disagree with, but I'm going to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong in just a little bit. But I believe that he goes with them, with him to the house, knowing that there's going to be not only a crowd around him, but also knowing that this woman is going to touch him in the process. People have for years 
say, well, Jesus didn't know who touched him. He said, who touched me? We'll deal with that in just a little bit. Of course, he knew it was right. But I think, as you're about to see, this is all tied together. There's something deeper going on here. All right? Now, as they're on their way to Jairus' house, a woman who had been bleeding for how many years pushed herself through? 12 years. She'd been, she pushed herself through the crowd in order to hopefully just touch the fringe of his garment. Some people think this might have been one of the tassels. If you go back and look at the Old Testament law, the rabbis and the teachers were to have a certain garment and they would have four tassels, you know, to represent the law and all this stuff. And as you know, Jesus got all over the Pharisees who started to make theirs wide and broad and big and look how impressive I am. But there's some people think that when it says touch the fringe of his garment, it might have been just simply that she touched the tassel of his garment. Just to touch the fringe of his garment, for she believed that if she simply touched his garment, she would be healed. Now, she had been to many doctors, but had only gotten worse. Actually, Luke's the one who is a physician, as you probably know, who brought out that she had spent all her money and she wasn't curable. But when she touches Jesus' garment, her bleeding stops immediately at that moment she touches him. Now, Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. Again, we're gathering all this from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. Jesus knew that power had gone out from him, and so he said, who touched me? Now, his disciples were a little surprised that Jesus would say, who touched me, since they were in a crowd and many were touching him. I mean, can you imagine Matt passing through the mass of humanity? Everybody's touching him. But Jesus knew that someone had touched his garment. That's one of the accounts, I think it was Luke's, that said, no, someone touched my clothes. And he knew that power had gone out from him. But Jesus' question is not because he didn't know. It was, he was asking a question he already knew the answer to in order to have this lady come public with her faith and her story. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Can anybody give me an example in Scripture of God asking a question that he already knows the answer to, but it looks like he doesn't know? Adam and Eve, back in Genesis chapter 3. God says, where are you? Is he like, ollie, ollie, income free, can't find you. No, of course he knew. Folks, you know the scripture is very, very clear that, that, that he knows. He, he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows everything about us. He said to Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree before Philip came and got you. And He doesn't say, who touched me? Because he didn't know. And when he says, I sense that power went out from me, it wasn't because he was saying, well, I think power went out from me. And I just don't know why and who. No, that wasn't it. He knows that this stuff's going to happen. That's why he can turn to Peter and say to him at one point, hey, you're going to go and throw a fishing line in the water. Your first fish you catch, you pull it out and you open up its mouth. There'll be a coin for you and a coin for me. Go pay our tax. He knows how it's all going to play out. So don't you know that as he's heading to Jairus's house, by the way, how old is Jairus's daughter again? Let me ask you another question. How many years had this lady been bleeding? I don't think that that's a coincidence. That she's 12. And this woman's had this issue for 12 years. Humor me for a little bit. I don't want to go too far with this because I don't want to go beyond the bounds of Scripture. But I think a lot of this episode is being used by Jesus to reveal himself and teach the Jews. There are those who get into numbers, I think, way more than we should. But we know full well that 12 is a number of the nation of Israel a lot. The 12 tribes and all this kind of stuff. And here's a girl who's at the point of death. 
which spiritually Israel was, were they not? Here's also a woman that's been sickly for a long time with a disease that couldn't be fixed by man. Boy, didn't that describe the nation of Israel as well. And there's something else that goes on here in this story that I just don't want you to miss. And I'm jumping ahead in my notes here, but it's okay. What word does he use in all three accounts when he calls her by name? He says, daughter. It's no accident. I want you to see it. Go to Matthew 9. Look at verse 22. And as Jesus passed, so that's verse 27. Put my glasses on, it still didn't work. Here's 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, who? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go over to Mark chapter 5. Look at verse 34. In Mark 5, verse 34, it says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 48. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let me ask you a question. Why is Jesus and this mass of people walking somewhere? Where are they going? They're going to what? They're going to Jairus' house. Why are they going to Jairus' house? To see Jairus' who? His daughter. And on the way, Jairus gets word that his daughter has died. And they even say to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus, we need from Mark and Luke's account, says, believe, believe. Yet at that same time, on this journey, when she's at that point of death, he stops to deal with this lady. Jesus could have kept on going. He could have kept going, but he stops and he says, someone touched me. I sense the power come out from me. Somebody intentionally touched my clothes. Who did it? The disciples, and the scripture says, nobody fesses up. Did you, did you catch that? Nobody will acknowledge it. And Jesus says, um, we're not going anywhere till somebody says who broke the lamp. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those kind of deals. You, you're laughing, Ray. You've said it as a parent, haven't you? Yeah, we're, somebody did it. Who's gonna, we're not going anywhere. Can you imagine being Jairus? Why are we stopping? Hurry up. And then the woman, if you look again and double check me, you'll see that the, the accounts show us that she doesn't come and just say it's me. She then told the whole story. Jesus was asking her a question he already knew the answer to, to get her to come public with her faith. Go to Luke chapter 12. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
Have any of you ever heard someone say, my faith is a personal thing? A lot of people say that, don't they? Then it's not real faith. If your faith is just between you and God, the Bible says you don't have it. Because if you're not willing to publicly acknowledge your belief in Jesus Christ, your faith alone in Jesus being the only way. Oh, I'm not wanting to listen to people that say, well, I think Jesus is my way and there's lots of ways for everybody else. No, Jesus himself said there's no other way. So either Jesus lied or you're believing a lie. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father. He said, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, you need to be willing publicly to acknowledge that or the faith you say you have that's between you and God isn't real. Go to Romans chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Keep reading. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You believe in your heart and you what? Confess with your mouth. Now, again, as we look at this story, this woman comes and touches Jesus on the way to Jairus' house. Let's go back and look at Mark and Luke's account. Go to Mark chapter 5. We'll start in verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. So when did Jairus find out that his daughter had died? After the woman's situation or before? It was after. Folks, Jesus knew this was all going to happen, and he lit it because he's using it to teach Jairus, definitely the woman, the people. He's revealing himself to the nation of Israel. That's no accident, I think, that she's 12 years old. It's no accident that she's a daughter and is a woman who has the issue of blood for 12 years, and he calls her daughter. If you know, when Jesus was in his last week of his life on the earth, and he was going into Jerusalem, 
And he went to the fig tree, which as we know in the scripture represents Israel as well. And he doesn't see any fruit on it. What does he do? Curses it. And it dies. Again, he's sending pictures to Israel over and over. You're sick. You're sick. Man can't help you. And I think this whole episode was orchestrated by Jesus to reveal himself, not just to the woman, but also to the people and also to Jairus. Again, the people don't come and tell him that his daughter's dead until after this whole episode where he just stops the journey and says, we ain't going anywhere until someone fesses up, someone touched me. Then the woman comes and tells her whole story, and you can put yourself in Jairus' shoes going, come on, <laughs> tapping on his watch for those that are listening online, come on. And then at the end of all that, after Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith is you. Actually, some translations put it saved you, and that's actually not a bad translation. Then he gets word that his daughter has died. And Jesus says to him, pay attention. Believe. Believe. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, you, you, you just brought up the fig tree. Mm -hmm. If I, maybe I'm not remembering correctly, the fig tree was not the season. At that time, no, it wasn't. But it is still... It's not that Jesus cursed it because it was empty. He was just showing them, when I curse, will be cursed. Well, that's part of it as well. But it's also when he comes expecting fruit. And Israel had had plenty of opportunity. But in acknowledging or professing her faith, she had to acknowledge her sin. I don't know if you all know this. For her to come and tell her story, she had to acknowledge her sin for in saying why she touched him, she had to admit that she was unclean. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Go back to Leviticus chapter 15. Go to Leviticus chapter 15. Look at verses 25 through 27. Leviticus 15, starting in verse 25. It says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies and all the, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity, and whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. <coughs> so she had been unclean and unable to go to synagogue or temple or anything like that for how long? Twelve years. For her to, in front of the synagogue ruler, come and say, I've had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And I've been to all the doctors and nobody could help me. And I've spent all my money. And the only reason I came was I knew Jesus was here and I had heard that he was here. And I just thought, if I would just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And folks, when I touched his garment, something happened. And my, my, my discharge stopped. By the way, do you realize in touching Jesus, she was making him unclean? Do you realize the faith that that took? Do you realize by pushing through that crowd, everyone she came in contact with, she was making them unclean? 
Jesus wasn't mad. I hope you understand this. He became unclean for all of us. You made him unclean. I made him unclean. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where did he get that sin? From himself? He got it from us. By coming forward and publicly telling her whole story, which the gospel accounts show us she did. That's how Mark and Matthew and Luke know what the story is. From her telling it, she had to acknowledge her uncleanness and her sin. By the time they get to Jairus' house, though, the girl is definitely dead. All right? There was confusion as to when. It's definitely by the time they get to the house. The servants have already come to tell him that she's died. Remember, they've traveled however far they've been to come tell him she's died. And when Jesus gets there, the professional mourners are already there. And if you didn't catch that in the story, there are people that are weeping and wailing and making this commotion. Actually, in the Jewish culture, when someone died, they would hire professional mourners to come and make all this noise. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. But I really want you to understand this. Jesus described her as being sleeping in the same way that he described Lazarus as being sleeping. Let me show you what I mean. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 15. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't hurry up and get there. How many of you would have been mad at the Lord? How many of you have been mad at your pastor because you called and he wasn't there? But I digress. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. That's good. Let him rest. Let's not bother him. <laughs> now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So when Jesus comes in and says she's just asleep, was she sleeping, resting or was she dead? She was dead, but not dead, dead. Oh, I want to go into Princess Bride right now so bad. <laughs> There's mostly dead. And, all right, go to Acts chapter 7. Some of you loved it. Some of you said, I don't know what he's talking about. So go to Acts chapter 7. I could take you through a ton of scriptures that deal with this sleep topic. Acts chapter 7, look at verses 54 through 16. 
Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. This is at Stephen. But he, felt, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did he sleep or did he die? He died. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that those who are asleep in Christ, we don't grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and he will also rise again. And we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Their bodies at the rapture are going to come out of the earth and we are alive at the time. We're going to be transformed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we're not going to all sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And Jesus is referring to the fact that even though the body is dead, he has the power to make them alive again, like someone that's taking a nap and waking back up. You can be dead physically and made alive, as he's evidencing. You can be dead spiritually and made alive. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Folks, we all were dead spiritually. We're born that way. But God makes us alive when we by faith. Come to Jesus. Now let me also say something to you. I don't have the time to take you through this study. It's a deep one, but it's there in the scriptures and it's pretty clear. There is a second death. The Bible talks about the second death. Do you realize that we say, well, I'm going to live forever. That's true. You are. If you're in Christ, you're going to live forever. Do you realize that the people that are out of, outside of Christ are going to live forever as well? The soul is eternal, folks. And they're going to live forever as well, but in a place of torment. And the Bible actually says that when people die outside of Christ, those of us who are in Christ, we go, we fall asleep in him. We go into his presence. Those who die outside of Christ, their bodies go to the dust of the earth, but they're real them. They go to sleep, if you will, but they go to a place of torment, the Bible says. And at the end of everything, millennial kingdom, tribulation period, all that stuff, all the wicked are going to be brought out before God at the great wide throne judgment, and then they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, where the Bible says is the second death. My question, my question is, are you, 
born twice and only going to die once? Or are you, have you been born once and going to die twice? You do realize that if you have been born physically and you trust Christ as your Savior, you're born again and you've born, been born twice and you'll only die once. But if you are only born once and not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll die twice, physically and again, when you're brought into the presence of God. The second death is the lake of fire. If you looked at the gospel accounts, you'll notice Jesus wasn't simply telling the girl's body to get up. He was calling her with it. We're not going to take the time to look at that, but he was calling her with it. You ever notice that when Jesus called Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. He's not just making the physical body come back to life. He's making the whole person come back to life. And why did Jesus in Luke, sorry, in John chapter 11, why did Jesus say to his disciples, your friend Lazarus has died and I'm glad that I wasn't there? Why? Do you remember why I said that? So that you would see the glory of God. I, I, I'm going to just chase this rabbit real quick, not real long. But there are times that God, and I'm going to say many times, that God does not answer our prayers the way we want him to. I mean, Mary and Martha said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Don't catch that little, I mean, don't miss that little twist of the arm, that little guilt trip. Lord, you're out there healing all these people. You've been in our house. You stayed with us. You kind of owe it to see us. We know you can't see everybody, but you're still going to come see us, right? And Jesus lets him die. When he knew that he was ill, he didn't move. He stayed two more days. If he was a pastor, he would have been fired. But again, I digress. Digress. Again, let me just say this to you while I'm still digressing. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Folks, when you really understand the Father's provision for you, Jesus' shepherding of you, you don't need a man. You don't need a pastor. The Lord's your pastor. Now, he uses us for his purposes, but don't get addicted to a man. He's going to let you down. Our job is to point you to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 talks about it. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, so that we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and every cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, but we will all grow up into him who is the head. You shouldn't become one of these people that says, I need my pastor. You should be one of those people that say, I need Jesus. And the pastors are not to be people that say, you need me, or I'm here for you. The pastors are the ones that are supposed to be saying, he's here for you. You need Jesus. I'll stop digressing. Now, Mark and Luke share that only Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents were allowed in the room when Jesus healed her. Now, Scripture doesn't specifically tell us why he kicks everybody else out, including the rest of the disciples, and only goes into the room with Mom and Dad, and Peter, James, and John. There are some few possibilities, but we're not going to deal with them now until we get to Matthew chapter 17. Because when we get to Matthew 17, you're going to see that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain with him when he's transfigured, and they see his glory, but then he tells them, you can't tell anybody what you've seen until after I've risen from the dead. Can you imagine how hard to keep that secret it would have been? On top of that, later on, you'll see in the garden right before the cross, 
as he goes to the garden to pray, he goes on further with only Peter, James, and John. We're going to deal with some scriptural speculation as to why those three guys were the only ones in Jairus's house when, when the daughter was raised. Why only those three got to see him transfigured. Why those three were the ones who got to see him or pray with him in the garden a little further. We'll deal with that when we start getting to Matthew 17, which I think is around 2017. So, but... um. <laughs> 27, sorry, already with, I've already gone past my time. So go to Ma- Matthew reports how word of this healing went through all the district. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Look at the very interesting differences here. But there's, there no, there's no conflict. Verse 25, when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. But what do Mark and Luke bring out in their accounts of this episode? He told them what? Don't talk about it. Yeah, but the townspeople are going to see the girl walking around. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what we're getting. That's what I want you to see. Folks, listen closely to what I'm going to say in the time we have left tonight. Don't think God needs you for one second to get his word out. He doesn't need you. Let me take you to Luke chapter 19 real quick. Go to Luke chapter 19. Look at verses 37 through 40. Luke 19, 37 through 40. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, this is the day that he's having the triumphal entry, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King! who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you that if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We still don't really view God as big and as 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 powerful as he really is. We think he needs our help. We think we have to come up with marketing schemes and strategies to reach our neighborhood and to mobilize. And if we would just come together and come up with a great plan, we can hit all the houses and we can get. If you look at the scriptures, God determines who goes where, when. And he says when to speak and when not to speak. He told him when he sent him out two by two in the first part in chapter 10, which we'll get to quickly, hopefully. And you're going to see he says, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Well, Lord, don't you care about the Gentiles and the Samaritans? Yeah, I got a plan for them, and I'll take care of that in that time. This is my field. This is my plan. This is something I've been working on for a long, long time. Actually, this is something I laid out before the foundation of the world. And who are you, so many thousand years later, thinking that all of a sudden you're going to come up with the plan to accomplish what I've been working on for all these years, and that I need you? Get over yourself. Jesus told them, don't talk about what's happened. Now, There are reasons. When he shows these miracles and a lot of people respond, what typically happens in each of those towns? Does anybody know what began to happen when he would do these things? People are trying to kill him. If you go back and keep reading, we all love that story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But if you keep going into chapter 12, you'll see that the people start plotting to kill Jesus. Oh, and not only were they plotting to kill Jesus, they also decided we got to now put Lazarus to death, too, because all the people are believing in Jesus because of his miracle. Jesus knew, look, I'm already not able to go into Judea very often and I got to sneak in and sneak out. 
Now up in this area of Galilee, if you guys keep blabbing and trying to think you're helping me, you're not helping me. I'm not saying we shouldn't share. I'm not saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't let other people know, but be listening to the Spirit as to when and how He's got a plan. The pressure's off us, guys. He will use you when He wants, how He wants. All He wants us to do is walk with Him. And when He says speak, speak. When He says don't, don't. By the way, I look forward to flying on airplanes a whole lot more now. You see, when I was younger and I had been taught that Every time I get on an airplane and I'm sitting on that seat, I have now a, a captive audience and I have to share the gospel with this person. And I was convinced that I was a sinner if I didn't tell the person I was a believer and try to get them saved. Of course, that really didn't make me a lot of fun to sit next to one in an airplane. And I got to be honest with you, my wife will tell you this is true. She's flying on an airplane with me on Thursday. I'm going to go get the window seat and I'm going to put my head against the window and I'll probably be asleep before the plane takes off. I'm gifted at sleeping on planes. It's some of my best sleep because I can just shut off and go. And I've learned over the years, Lord, if you want me to talk to the person next to me about you, you make it clear. I'm just going to rest here. And there are times he opens the door and it's obviously him. And there are times he says, enjoy your nap. And I say, yes, Lord, to both. This flight, the person right next to me on the middle seat is going to be named Becky. And I think she's okay. So I'm probably going to sleep. She's going to have to pray about whether or not the person next to her is going to be used. I love you all. We'll see you in three weeks.